I do want to welcome you again. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Ant, and um, I have the privilege of leading this church with an amazing, amazing team of people. And I really trust that you have felt at home if you are visiting, that you felt God's presence, that you felt the welcome of His people, but most of all, that you felt the welcome of the Holy Spirit amongst us tonight. And um, I'm going to pick up on some of the things that have been shared in the readings. But uh, I was just thinking about um, this year and reflecting on this year and looking back. It has been a difficult year. It's been a tough year in many ways. Um, the war in Ukraine is um, continuing. It's now it's nearly its second year that it's been going. The conflict in Israel and Gaza has added to a growing sense of pessimism in the current political climate all around the world. And as a result of that, we've all been affected by rising interest rates, petrol and utility increases, and combine that with the cost of living crisis. It's been a tough year financially for many people, and uh, we do recognize that at the same time. And then there's the ongoing farcical behavior of our politicians, don't get me started, from every political party, which is so discouraging and frankly, absolutely disappointing. And yet, in the midst of all these challenges, we have a great reason to rejoice and a great reason to celebrate. And God has not left us alone to face any of these things on our own, but has come down to be with us in the midst of whatever we face. Jesus is here, Emmanuel, God is with us. And that's what we've been thinking about and celebrating as a church over this last month. And that's why as Christians, we choose to celebrate in the midst of storms. We choose to celebrate in the midst of hard times. And surely that is the message of the gospel, that in your trouble, there's one who stands with you closer than a brother. His name is Jesus. And whatever you're going through, he never leaves you. He doesn't forsake you. He's with you and is at, at your right hand. Amen? This is the joy of the gospel. This is the great joy of what we celebrate at Christmas. And so I want to encourage you to celebrate with all of your heart and to enjoy your family. And I hope that your time of celebration with your loved ones, your friends, your family will be a time of great joy and hopefully great food and renewing relationships. And I want, I want to encourage you with all of my heart to enjoy this season. There are so few things and so few opportunities that we have to celebrate together as friends and family. Let's take it with both hands, all right? And let's celebrate. I do recognize on the, sec on the other hand, though, that there, this can be an unnecessary time of commercialism, of um, materialism, and for some, a really unhappy time of loneliness because of a lack of close family relationships, and we do recognize that as well, and yet at the same time, let's be Christ to people, and let's draw in those that perhaps don't enjoy the relationships that we do. So whatever your feelings might be about Christmas, and despite they might be positive or negative. I still want to encourage you to celebrate this time with all of your heart. And simply because Jesus, Emmanuel, God is with us, and that changes everything. It changes our lives, it changes our past, it changes our present, and it changes our future. It changes everything. And so whatever your tradition is, whatever your family tradition might be at this time, let it include great joy, let it include great laughter, let it include great celebration as you reflect on the birth of Jesus and all that means for everyone. And all of us have a unique perspective, a viewpoint which adds to the whole picture and the story of Christmas. And what makes life richer is gaining from and learning from other people's perspectives and the joy 
of humbly walking through your life, learning from other people as you go until that final day when we get to be with Jesus, the one that we love. My personal confession is that I love Christmas. <laughs> I love everything about it. I love uh, the food and the celebration, and I love hanging with people and talking, and we've had a great time as a, a staff. We've been celebrating for a month, and that's, why not? Let's have a good, let's celebrate. We work hard, and we, we celebrate together. We party hard as well, because Jesus wants us to have a good time as we serve him. Amen? And so... I love the fact, especially at this time, that people are a little bit more open to the gospel, and I've been so encouraged to see in our community how, many, how well attended some of the carol services are. I think I shared this before, but uh, there's a church in Bethnal Green that does a carol service every year in the, outside in the business area, and somehow this year it went viral on Instagram, and did you read 7,000 people rocked up at their carol service? 7,000 people! And they had to, the police asked, that scheduled three, and the police said, please close the other two. It's not safe for the other businesses, and we don't want to have a, 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 an accident or anything happen. So they had, they had one where 7,000 people came. Isn't that amazing? And I've been following online just to see all the things that people have been streaming have been absolutely packed. It's just wonderful to me that you know, people want to hear something of the gospel and celebrate together at this time of year. So let's take the opportunity with both hands. Um, I, I am going to try and stick to my notes for the sake of time. Um, and so if, I, if I'm a little bit more formal tonight, please forgive me. But I want to have a look at the story of Christmas through the eyes of the shepherds, as we've been reading about, um, who also experienced really difficult circumstances in their lives. And I want us to look about how the birth of Jesus changed their perspective of their own circumstances and changed the perspective of their lives, and how the birth of Jesus really does the same for all of us who believe in Him. And so I want to pick up on Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 17, which was read tonight. It says, they went with haste, these are speaking of the shepherds, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told concerning the child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds, shepherds had told them. Can you imagine um, the surprise it must have been for Mary and Joseph to have these shepherds rock up at their outhouse, their cave stable, wherever it was. And not only seeing these shepherds rock up, but also hearing their story of the incredible manifestation of the angelic hosts that announced the birth of their son to the whole world. It must have been a stupefying moment for Mary and Joseph. It must, can you imagine that? If you were kind of just had a child and you kind of taken care of the child and suddenly these people come uh, to your door and tell of this amazing thing that they've experienced, announcing the birth of that little child. And the striking thing for me is that the shepherds are the first to kneel at the manger. They're the first to worship the newborn king. And that's even more remarkable considered the position of shepherds in ancient society. They really were the poorest of the poor, social outcasts, and if you were a social climber, you did not start at being a shepherd. There was nowhere to go from being a shepherd, all right? <laughs> and yet, the Son of God reveals himself first to the poorest of the poor, the lowest of the low, those that are outcast on the fringe of society. Isn't that glorious? Because that's good news for everyone. The gospel is good news for those that feel marginalized and on the outside, the poor, the destitute, the lonely. The gospel is good news. And it says, 
they were in the region of Bethlehem. It's very interesting, the region surrounding Bethlehem was, was long associated in biblical times with shepherding, with flocks. And David, remember the story of David? He guarded his father's flocks, Jesse's flocks, on the hills around Bethlehem. It was a good place to graze flocks. Uh, in Genesis 35 and Micah 4 verse 8, we read of the Tower of Eda, uh, which means the Tower of Flocks. And scholars are not certain what that means, but some say it refers to Jerusalem and has a specific reference to the sheep gate that was part of the temple compound. And as you know, there were different gates and people entered the gate by different um, entrances. And the sheep gate was where all the sheep went through for the sacrifices that were made in the temple. Others say that it's a reference, Tower of Eda is a reference to Bethlehem, the birthplace of David, Israel's shepherd king. And there are some others that have taken the Tower of Eda literally that they believed it was an actual place where towers were built so that the shepherds could go up the towers at night and um, watch over their flocks in, in a way that enabled them to see what was going on. What is stunning to me, though, is that outside, as the sheep were grazing on the hills outside Bethlehem, they weren't just ordinary sheep. The fields, the fields around Bethlehem were primarily used to grow sheep, to breed sheep for the temple, for the sacrificial system, as animals were used as sacrifices. Sheep were used as animals, in, uh, uh, sacrificial animals in the temple. And um, people estimate that in the first century onwards, in terms of temple worship, 250,000 sheep were offered annually as sacrifices. It's a lot of sheep. And the Passover, as you know, was an extraordinary time for, for Jewish people, and part of that was the, the, they needed sheep to be provided, and the, that's why these sheep were grazed outside Jerusalem. And it says that these shepherds were keeping watch over their flock. There were four watches. The first was called even, the second one was called midnight, the, th the third watch was called the cockcrow, and the fourth watch was called morning. And some men would keep watch over their flocks, at any one of those four times. And they would look over their flocks to make sure that no predators took any of the sheep or bandits came to steal the sheep. The life of a shepherd was lonely. It was dirty work. It was work that no one else wanted to do. And in addition to that, being a shepherd made you ceremonially unclean as a Jewish person you would, you, uh, what made you unclean was to handle blood or to handle a dead body. Those things made you ceremonially unclean. And so shepherds would have help, helped to give the, the lambs to, to be born. Uh, they would have had opportunity to be exposed to blood. They would have had to dispose of dead animals, which all made them unclean. And so as a result of that, shepherds were spiritually outcast as well. And the great irony is, as they were providing sheep for a sacrificial system which depended on ritual cleansing, they themselves were alienated from that system as they could never find cleansing for themselves because they were always looking after sheep. And there was this amazing catch-22 situation which can often come from highly legalistic systems of religion. And they were clearly victims. The shepherds, the poorest of the poor, the outcasts of society were also spiritual outcasts. And yet they have this incredible moment of wonder. And I was just thinking of that uh, as I was preparing this week. 
There are moments of wonder that are etched into all of our hearts and our minds forever. Perhaps you um, experienced a great piece of music for the first time, and it immediately filled you with a great sense of joy and wonder. And now, whenever you hear that piece of music, it transports you back to that moment in your life where you remember it for the first time. Anyone have an experience like that? When Helen and I first got married, we had a tiny little Fiat Uno. Do you remember the Unos? And uh, this was pre this was a long time ago, people, so we still had CD players, all right? And I was so excited in my little Fiat Uno, I had a CD player that could take five CDs. And you could choose which one you would play. And when we um, got married, we were on our honeymoon, we went down, we were driving the, through this Karoo, which is like the straight road that goes on for hundreds of kilometers. And we had James Taylor in our car on repeat. Now, whenever I hear James Taylor, in my mind, I am back driving on my honeymoon. Isn't that wonderful? Music does that to you. Great moments of wonder do that to you, where you suddenly are transported back to a place that's incredibly meaningful. Um, I, I, there's also great moments of sadness. I think I've told this story in our church before, but I will never forget the moment that I received a message from my brother uh, when I was in Sydney in Australia on, on a ministry trip, and Helen and I had taken some leave, and we were overlooking the Sydney Harbor. It was an absolutely beautiful day. And my younger brother texted me with two words, Mum's gone. And whenever I look at the Sydney Bridge, I'm reminded of that moment. It's incredible how moments of great joy and sadness are forever etched into your mind, into your heart. And there are also moments that are just, we have a thrill of sheer pleasure from. Um, for those of you that are golfers, I, I remember the day I got my first hole-in-one, like it was yesterday. I remember the day that I shot 79, first time I broke 80 on the golf course. I can remember exact time, location, where I was. Just absolute joy at achieving something that I'd wanted to do for a long time. Those are also wonderful memories. Uh, or the day that I got married and I saw Helen working, walking down the aisle and I was like, this couldn't be happening to me. And it was. Such a moment of great joy, and because um, I am an emotional person, I burst into tears, and so everyone thought there was something weird, because the bride was crying, the, the bridegroom was crying, the bride was radiant, what's going on here? Or the birth of my children, I still remember the smell of the hospital and walking into the delivery room, and now they're men, and I can remember it like that. What's the point of this? The point of this is that, can you imagine all of these personal moments give us some inkling? It's like a flash of glory into our lives, a future flash of God's glory and joy and f the fullness of every good thing that breaks into our lives. And we experience something of the thrill that those shepherds, the breathtaking, spectacular, magnificent splendor that they experienced on that night when the angels announced the birth of Jesus to them. And this is how Luke describes it. The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. 
And the angel said, Fear not, for I bring good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on the earth peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. These simple, simple shepherds, like the others involved in this story, were not quite prepared for what they saw. And so they were terrified, quite frankly. And I, I imagine that you and I might be terrified as well. And I was thinking about this. The Bible uses different words to describe the glory of God. And one of the words that it uses is Shekinah, which means the brightness of the perfection of all the attributes of the all-sufficient God. That's the, the best way that I can describe it. That's what it means to, be, the, the, to experience the Shekinah of God. And it's like light that just appears all around you simultaneously at the same time. And it's dazzling and it's bright. That's what the Shekinah presence of God is. There's no source we have light sources, the shine lights, the light shines. I can look at the source. The, the, the Bible says the glory of God is not like that. It just appears. It's everywhere. It's, it's got no source. It's eternal, radiant, effervescent, incandescent light. And it's just the fullness of who God is. Appears in a moment. And there's just light all around us. Glorious, glorious light. And that's what they experienced. No wonder they were afraid. And it says... Um, the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the glory of God was evidence of God's presence with His people. And in Exodus 24, 16, it says this, The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days, and on the seventh day He called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. So we know from the Old Testament, the pillar, the cloud in the temple, the cloud was a symbol of this glory, this presence of God. And we see that in Numbers 16, verse 19. Then Korah assembled all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. Or in, when the temple is dedicated in Jerusalem in 1 Kings 8, when the priest came out of the holy place, the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so the priest could not stand to minister because the cloud, for the glory of the Lord, filled the house of the Lord. These amazing pictures of God's glory, His effervescent radiance amongst His people. And so, as you know, the Old Testament, the people of God wandered into idolatry. And so there's this, um, the prophets rise up and t talk to the people and say, please repent, don't do that. God, God is not going to be pleased with you. Try, the prophets try and warn the people. And eventually God speaks through this guy called Ezekiel about the adultery, the spiritual adultery. And it says that Ezekiel watches step by step as the glory of the Lord departs the temple, leaves Jerusalem, and is resides, it says in Ezekiel 11:23, the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain that is the east side of the city. And that's the last time the mention of the glory of God happens in the Old Testament. We never hear about the glory of God in a physical way ever again in the New Testament. It's only prophesied about in a future way, a longing for the glory of God to come. And 600 years later, after Ezekiel describes the glory of God leaving Jerusalem, we see simple men on a hillside, shepherds, 
peasants, the poorest of the poor, having a revelation of the glory of God that people have been longing for for 600 years. And they're the first ones on the mountainside to experience the glory of God again. Isn't it amazing? 600 years later. And they are blinded by this beautiful, beautiful demonstration of the fullness of God. John 1.14, my favorite, one of my favorite, favorite portions of the Bible, you know it well. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace, full of truth. And you see, it's the glory of God and that uh, an understanding, a revelation of the glory of God that evokes wonder and worship in these shepherds. And it does invoke some fear as well. But for the first time, they experienced this glory that had not been seen about, seen um, for 600 years. And here the outcasts of the religious system who needed to look somewhere else for hope that night find hope in the angel's message. They find hope for themselves. They find that their circumstances don't always have to dictate who they can be because Jesus has come for them, the poorest of the poor. And uh, there's a commentator, John Gill, he says this, To the shepherds, the first notice of Christ's birth was given, not to princes, not to chief priests, not to learned men from Jerusalem, but to weak, common, illiterate men whom God is pleased to choose and call and reveal His secrets as he guides them from the wise, as he, he, he hides them from the wise and prudent to their confusion and to the glory of his grace. This was the precursor of what the kingdom of Christ would be and by and to whom the gospel would be preached. We should all say amen, right? Because we all, we all of us in this room are not particularly special. Not any one of us. And this is the, what, is, what is even more amazing to me is that God describes himself as the great shepherd. We read it tonight. He's the father. He's the protector of the flock. Can you imagine the wonder of the shepherds, these outcasts, isolated from people, from the temple, from the hope of their nation, discovering from the mouths of angels that they weren't forgotten. They weren't cast out. But he had chosen them to be the first to hear this message. And the child in Bethlehem would become the great shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. John 10. The great shepherd who purchased his sheep by his blood of the eternal covenant. Hebrews 13. The great shepherd and guardian of my soul and your soul. 1 Peter 2.25. The great shepherd who will come back for everyone who is his own. And reward them with a crown of glory. Come on. 1 Peter 5. And do you notice their first response is to worship. They didn't go off to the temple. They didn't go off to some great cathedral that hadn't yet been built, if it was. They didn't choose to go to the great St. Albans Cathedral to worship. They said, we just need to go and be where the baby is. They sought out the stable, and they worshiped with all of their hearts at the feet of the child. They didn't need any other thing to motivate them, to encourage them, to say how spectacular. No, it was spectacular enough to meet the newborn child. And they worshipped him with all of their hearts. Luke 2.15, when the angels went away from them up into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem, to the stable, and see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. 
I think our lives are characterized not so much by what happens to us, but how we respond to what happens to us. And that's both true in the good that happens to us and the difficult things that happen to us. How we respond speaks in a great measure that words cannot speak. And the first response to the shepherds is worship. And the second response is to tell others about what they had seen. Luke 2.17, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And so they were the first to hear, they were first to tell, they were bursting with wonder at what they'd seen and experienced, and they shared this whole story, the glory of the angels and the baby in the manger with whoever would listen. And my encouragement to you this, this, this Christmas Eve is what is your first response to the Christ child? Is it to wonder? Is it to worship? Is it to tell other people? I hope it is. That's our, that's our mandate, is those that love Jesus, to tell everyone about what he's done for us. And then there's this last thing I want to land on. There's just this great, heartfelt, passionate celebration. Luke 2.20, And the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising God for all they had heard and seen as had been told them. These simple people, Having heard the good news, been convinced in their own hearts and minds, they went back to their everyday jo jobs caring for the flocks, but in a different way. Something had changed. Their circumstances hadn't changed. Their hearts had changed. And they could worship in the midst of difficult things. They could worship because they had seen the Savior. I want to encourage you, my friends, whatever you're facing, whatever this year has held in store for you, in the midst of your difficult things, you can worship because there's a king who's revealed himself to you by his kindness and his grace, and he's transformed your life, and all he wants for you is to walk with him in the good times, in the bad times. And so they were once outcasts, they no more outcasts. They once were unfit for the temple, now they can stand with their heads held high where the prophets and priests had gone before them to celebrate the arrival of Messiah. They have seen Messiah with their own eyes, and they celebrate the birth of the Lamb. What could be more wonderful? What could be more appropriate? And 2,000 years after the first announcement of the birth of God's Son was made, the poor, forgotten, outcast shepherds, the same message is still true this Christmas. Everyone that feels outcast, that feels forgotten, that feels alienated from God, that feels cut off from their own people and God's people. To everyone that feels far away from Him, there is a perfect Lamb that has been born. There is a perfect Lamb that takes away the sin that separates us from God. His name is Jesus. His name is Messiah. His name is Emmanuel. He has come to be with us. Amen. And He lays down His life for His sheep. He lays down His life for you and for me. John 10, he's the great shepherd who has bought us with an eternal covenant. He's the great shepherd who's the guardian of our souls, and he is the great shepherd who will come back for all of us that are called by his name. His name is Jesus. I want to encourage you this, this evening, one day at what he's done for you. Worship him for what he's done for you. Open your heart if you don't know him and receive him as Savior, as Lord, as the one who can transform your life radically from the inside out. Receive him if you have not yet and worship him. Worship him as the king, as the Lord, as the shepherd of your own soul. Amen. Let us pray as I finish. Jesus, I want to thank you so much for all you've done for us, that none of us were looking for you and that you found us.
while we were still dead in us, and your word says we, we were dead. There was no life in us at all, spiritually dead. While we were still dead in our sin, you reached into our lives, touched our hearts, made them alive again so that we could know you. And ever since that moment, we've enjoyed a relationship with you as our Father, as our Lord, as our friend. And I want to thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for what the cradle symbolizes, that the cross is possible because of the cradle. What we celebrate now makes Easter even more joyful as we celebrate your death and your resurrection, that the one points to the other. And I want to pray for anyone here tonight, Lord, that does not know you in this way. I want to pray, Lord, that they would receive you. And I want to just pray a very simple prayer. And if you, if you would like to pray this prayer, please just uh, in your heart repeat after me. Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done. I thank you that you came so that my sins might be forgiven. I ask you now to forgive me for those things that have wronged you and wronged other people. I pray that you'd come and you'd live with me inside my life, in my heart, that I might live for you. I pray that you'd change me by the power of your spirit. Make me more and more like yourself. In Jesus' name. Amen.